Well, like I said, life doesn't make sense, does it? There's a lot of things that you and I, that we hear that don't make sense. There's things that we read that don't make sense. There's things that we feel that don't make sense. There are things that we see that just don't make sense. In fact, here's some right here. Take a look at this, okay? Look at this sign. Sign not in use. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? That just that's, that makes a lot of sense. Take a look at this next one. Garbage only, no trash. I thought trash was garbage. It just doesn't make sense. Here's one that's really good. Do not breathe under the water. Someone paid good money for that sign right there, okay? It just doesn't make sense, does it? Our government paid money for that sign. I was at McDonald's this past week, and um, as I do to go get my coffee, I love my McDonald's coffee. Thank you for any gift cards that you want to send my way. Um, And it was at noontime, there was this guy, and he ordered three double cheeseburgers, an extra large order of fries, and a Diet Coke. Did not make any sense to me, okay, whatsoever. As I was thinking about that, I, I started to think, why is it, okay, why is it that sheep don't shrink when they get rained on? Wool shrinks. Uh, boy, you guys are slow. You need a sabbatical like me, okay? Uh, uh, then I, I, I live out in Savannah, which is just off 380. It's next to Prosper. And, and if you're up there, it is like a parking lot in 380. They're working on it. It is a zoo, right? And I know this is going to get me in trouble, but please, please don't write me any cards this week. I see this lady. In fact, I saw this several times, a lady putting mascara on going, why is it that women have to open their mouth when they put mascara on? I do not understand that at all. It doesn't make any sense. Since I'm a reader, I ran across an endorsement of a book by a famous psychologist, and it said this. This famous psychologist has written a landmark book of men's understanding of the most complex creature on planet Earth, the woman. But yeah. Based on years of research and interviews with thousands of men from all walks of life, he presents the most complete picture ever revealed of men's knowledge of the opposite sex. Fiercely frank and brilliantly insightful, this work spells out everything men know about women. I'm going to sell that book in the lobby for you guys, okay, right after the service, okay? There are some things that just don't make sense to us, okay? There is a woman in Scripture who went through some tough times who's going to offer us some extraordinary wisdom when life doesn't make sense. As you know, I call these instances tunnels of chaos. And you've heard me say this before. A lot of times you're either in the chaos or you're leaving the chaos or you're heading towards the next tunnel of chaos. And I've discovered in 64 years of life that oftentimes the chaos that I experience, I have brought on myself. I am my worst enemy. Or it comes from Satan. He is alive and well on planet Earth. Or it it is created by other people's decisions. Those are the ones that are the most difficult to handle, aren't they? When truly it is out of your control and someone else has made the decision and as a result, it just brings all kinds of confusion in your life. Paul was familiar with this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 
He describes his feelings, and yet the hope that he has with decisions that were made outside of him, okay? Take a look at this verse out of 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. That verse right there is going to be the foundation for for the, the study that we are going to take at looking at this ordinary woman who no doubt was human, who no doubt had her own issues, but the bulk of the scars and the obstacles that she faced were the result of someone else's decision. And that young woman is Hagar. And I'm going to tell her story today. I'm going to give you the cliff note version version, because there is a lot of chapters. But before I do, there's a few things that you need to understand. And that is this, that no matter what you go through in your life that doesn't make sense, that causes you to ask the question, why God? Or that makes you feel like God is distant, you need to know this truth. Will you write this down? The mystery of God's ways are beyond my comprehension. When things are happening in your world that you can't get your mind wrapped around, you and I need to know that the mystery of God's ways are beyond my comprehension. And why is that? Well, it's because God's infinite. God's God's ways are infinite. My ways, my knowledge is limited. God's ways are unlimited, meaning that there's no way in the world that you and I can understand everything that is going on. There is another truth that you and I need to know before we get into this story of Hagar. This truth is important, especially because of the people that were involved in her hurt. And that truth is this. In his, or God's, loving uh, grace and mercy, God works out his supreme purpose within and in spite of our corrupt human nature. God's ultimate purpose, God's supreme purpose is worked out within within a person, and in spite of our flops, failures, and fumbles in life. We're going to see this in Hagar's story. We're going to see some, the, some really bad things are going to happen to her at the hands of godly people. And those bad things by these godly people may cause us to question whether we should model our lives after them. But, guess what? These people that we model, that we hold up as heroes of faith are also human. And they also have to deal with their humanity just like you do and just like I have to. Truly, man's corrupt nature has been with us since the beginning of time meaning that there are things that happen in our world that God does not condone at all, that God does not endorse at all. And yet, 
within those things and in spite of those things, God is working out his will. And that is what this ordinary life of Hagar is going to teach us. So let me give you Pastor George's Cliff Note version because we don't have time to read all the verses, okay? Her story starts in Genesis of chapter 16. Abraham and Sarah are a part of her story. They are the godly people. They are held up as heroes of faith, and they are. God gave Abraham a vision. He, He says, Abraham, I want you to leave your comfort zone. I want you to leave your country and go to a place that I'm going to direct you. And I'm going to make you not an exalted father, but rather I am going to make you the father of many, many, many people. And folks, that promise was a huge promise to an older couple who could not have kids. But you know what they did? They left. They got out of their comfort zone. And they went to the place that God had directed Hagar was a part of Abraham's household. She was a slave. Remember what I said earlier. God doesn't endorse, nor does he condone, or, nor did he originate slavery. It was something that would, had been, become part of their culture in which the people had adopted. And yet God was going to work within it, and he was going to work in spite of it. As was customary back then, if you were a person of wealth, and Abraham was, folks, he was rich, okay? They had servants who were a part of their household, and Hagar was a part of Abraham's household. She was a slave. She did not have the right to dictate anything in regards to her own life. She had to be at Sarah's beck and call day and night. That is what was going on. God came to Abraham and gave him this promise, you're gonna have a kid and you're gonna be the father of lots and lots and lots of people. From that promise first given, 10 years have elapsed. Sarah begins thinking, you know, God's pretty busy and maybe he wants us to do something about this. And so Sarah, in her really kind of respectful way is trying to help God out. She jumps ahead of God. She gets Hagar. She takes him to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to sleep with her. I want you to sleep with her, Abraham. I want her to be the surrogate so that we can have a son. What is a man supposed to do? I mean, his wife dictated this, okay? And so he says, okay, that's what you want, so be it, okay? And so sure enough, Hagar gets pregnant. Hagar is with child. Now I want us to pause in this story. And I want us to begin just to imagine uh, uh, Sarah and Hagar. What they might have been feeling, what they might have been thinking and going through. Sarah, no doubt, must have felt as she saw Hagar getting larger, seeing this baby developed in her womb. And the Bible doesn't tell us this. I want you to remember what I said about complex women, okay? Okay. 
Sarah had to be thinking, this woman shares something that I don't share. This woman has something that I don't have. She had to have felt as she saw Hagar developing, hey, I'm on the outside looking in. What must Hagar have felt? Think about this. I don't know, a few, few days, few weeks, few months earlier, she was picking up Sarah's toenails off the rug. Now she has what she considers as the promised child developing within her. She had to feel that she was a big deal. She had to have thought, you know what? My future is, is finally changing, okay? The boat is coming in to dock. Hallelujah. Happy days are here, okay? And it must have caused her to walk around with confidence, strut. You ever had that? I mean, you know you just landed the big deal and you, I'm the man. Okay, I'm the woman. I'm, I got the promised child right here. She had to have had that attitude and that outward behavior. But Scripture truly doesn't tell us what went on between Sarah and Hagar. All we know that Scripture tells us is that Sarah finally got fed up with it, eventually lost her mind and goes to Abraham and says to her, and the Bible's clear about this, he, she comes to Abraham and says, it's your fault. You brought this on to me. Abraham has to be perplexed, right? You're the one that told me to do it. <laughs> Not my fault. He didn't say that because that just gets him in, dig in deeper, right? Okay. He has to be confused. And so he does what every good husband does. He delegates. He says, she's your slave. Do whatever you want with her. And so Sarah makes Hagar's life a living hell. So much so that Hagar decides to leave. She breaks the law. Remember, she's a slave. She's just a piece of property. She just can't get up and leave whenever she wants. But she couldn't take it anymore. She is on her way back to the familiar place called Egypt. And along that way, God speaks to her. God sends a messenger, and he says to her, Hagar, where are you going? God, I just can't take it anymore. This, this mental, this emotional, this physical abuse that's going on, I just can't take it anymore. I am out of here. And God says, Hagar, I understand. But inside of you is the seed of Abraham. And I want you to know something. You're going to have a son. And I'm going to make your son, because of Abraham, I'm going to make him into a great nation. So Sarah Go back and submit yourself to that witchy woman. Pause. Folks, why would anyone want to do that? Why would anyone want to put themselves under a tyrant, okay? I'll tell you why. 
It's because God gave her a promise. He says, that son that you're carrying in your womb, I'm gonna make into a great nation. And so Hagar did, Hagar did it. She went back and served in Abraham's household. She had that baby and she named that baby Ishmael, which means God sees. Ishmael is born. He grows up in the household for 13 years. Abraham thinks that Ishmael is the promised child. Sarah thinks that Ishmael is the promised child. Hagar thinks that Ishmael is the promised child. Hagar's attitude begins to change again. Oh, happy days. It's come back. My boat has come back in to dock. Things are turning around in my life. My future is changing again. But then guess what happens? Sarah miraculously gets pregnant. (gasps) Confusion enters in to Hagar's life again. She's on this roller coaster up and down. Why? Because she understands that there cannot be two heirs to one household. What in the world is going to happen? Sarah has the baby. More confusion comes in to the household. A few years passed, and Sarah notices Ishmael, who is a teenager at that time, making fun of her son, Isaac. Sarah has had it. Now she sees the opportunity to get rid of this woman and to get rid of that son. And so she goes to Abraham. Abraham, get rid of her and get rid of her now. Abraham is perplexed. He has raised Ishmael as his very own. And he was. What is he to do? This time, he seeks God. And God tells Abraham, do what Sarah has told you to do. Now, let's pause right there, folks. That makes no sense. Why would God do this to a poor slave girl? Yeah, get rid of her. Now, again, I would have us remember What I said earlier, God didn't condone, nor did he create the culture or this situation. But God works within, and he works in spite of our corrupt human nature. Who are the ones that were responsible for this? Abraham and Sarah. Is God just going to come along and miraculously just change things? No. He tells Abraham, in essence, Abraham, you're the one that created this mess. But let me tell you what you need to do now. Send her out. Let her go. And so Abraham sends her out. He sends her out with a jug of water, folks. A jug of water into a very, very harsh desert, knowing full well that she and Ishmael are not going to survive. Hagar knew that she Hagar knew that they were not going to survive. Ishmael knew that they were not going to survive. But he sends them out. Makes no sense. On their way, sure enough, they're dying of thirst. They're, they're, They're at the brink of death. 
to the, to the point where Hagar takes Ishmael and puts him under a thorn bush to die and walks away because guess what? She, she couldn't take it anymore. I've been emotionally abused. I've been physically abused. I've been mentally abused. And now my son is dying. I can't be close to that. She walks away. And she begins to cry out to God. And God hears her. Hagar, I hear your cries. And by the way, I hear Ishmael's cries as well. And he opens her eyes to water. She drinks. And they survive. And they move on. She goes back to the familiar, to Egypt. And we never hear of her again. This is the story of Hagar. A woman who put up with all kinds of hurts, emotionally, mentally, no doubt, physically. And from her life, folks, you and I learn four extraordinary lessons. We learn four lessons when life doesn't make sense for you and I. And the first thing is this. When, that, when you're in that chaos, that tunnel of chaos, you've got to remember God's promises. When life doesn't make sense, and, and your mind can't get itself wrapped around what's going on, you've got to remember the promises of God. This is what God did for Hagar. Take a look at Genesis 16.10. I will give you more descendants than you can count. Folks, he gave her a promise. And that promise was enough to pick her up and to help her go back and finish what she needed to finish in Abraham's household. You see, God sees the big picture. He sees from beginning to end. He sees from A to Z. And because he does, he gives promises. And promises for you and I are enough. God's word is just chock full of promises. Is it not? Are they? Is it not? There are over 7,000 promises in God's word that you and I can claim through Christ. But here's the deal. You don't need 7,000 promises. You just need one. All you need is one promise. Because one promise is enough. This is what Paul, I believe, is referring to in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8, where he says this, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are not crushed. Why are we not crushed? Because of the promises of God. Let me give you a couple of promises. You only need one, but let me give you a couple. Romans 8, 28. And we know, Paul says, that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Folks, that is a strong promise to claim. Will you circle the word no? It says that we know. We don't guess, we don't hope, we don't think, and we don't say that it's, it's a possibility. No, we know that God works, that he works for good, for those who love him and are seeking to fulfill his purposes. Take a look at Isaiah 41, verse 10. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. 
Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will hold you up with my righteous right hand. Folks, God promises that in the tunnels of chaos that he will work within. He works within, and he works without, in spite even of our human nature. He works within us. He gives us strength. Sometimes what you need in a, in a tunnel of chaos is that you need a promise. You need a promise when you're carrying some scars from your past that just don't make sense. And that promise is enough. And why is that? Because that promise is true. God knows the end from the beginning. He gives a promise, and it's a true promise. And the same God that, made, that gave Hagar a promise, I don't know, 4,000 plus years ago, and rescued her, guess what? God will rescue you. And so when life doesn't make sense, what you and I do is that we've got to remember God's promises. Secondly, we need to rely on God's plan. In Genesis 16, 9, it says this of Hagar's story. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit, her, uh, and submit to her authority. Now, my guess is this. She didn't want to hear that. You gotta be kidding me, God. You want me to go back and submit myself to that witchy woman? You give me a break, God. I don't like that plan. But God's pretty clear, okay? He doesn't make mistakes when he lays out a plan, right? We do, but his are perfect. He says in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. See, there are things that you and I think about that we think, oh, no, this is the right way to do it. It just ends up in more chaos, right? But God's plan's not. So I want you to write this down. My way may seem to make sense, but will just create more trouble. My way may feel like it's the right thing to do, but guess what? It's going to just end up in more chaos. Sarah thought, guess what? I'm going to help God along. That's what I'm going to do. I think we need to jump in and we need to be a part of this solution. And, and so she brings, again, Hagar to Abraham and says, hey, this is the surrogate who's going to have our son. It seemed right. In fact, culturally, it was right. In a similar way, Hagar, I'm sure, didn't feel like this was the right plan to go back and submit herself, resubmit herself to this tyrant but she did and things worked out this is what i believe paul's referring to in second corinthians 4 when he says we are perplexed but not driven to despair will you write this down god's ways may not make sense in the moment but i know his plans are good and full of hope folks it's okay to be perplexed with, with the complexity of life and the situations that don't make sense. But we should never, ever give in to despair. We should never allow the confusion to have us stop right smack dab in the middle of the confusion and live a defeated life. No. God gives promises that are for our good to give us hope. Now, it's interesting in Hagar's story, and it's the sticking point, I think, for a lot of us, which was this. God did not give her an explanation of what he was doing. 
So I want you to write this down. Hagar didn't have an explanation. She had a directive. And we don't like that, do we? We don't want anybody telling us what to do. Definitely without them filling in the blanks. We want all the blanks filled in. We want the whole enchilada. We want to know everything that's going on from A to Z, or I'm not moving. But that isn't how it works. And it doesn't work that way in life either, does it? How many of you have ever been driving at night? I mean, it's pitch dark. Moon's not out. Maybe it's cloudy, no stars. And you're on an FM road, no, no lights. I do it all the time. I live out in Savannah, and that, that, the 380 is a zoo, okay? Even at night. Sometimes I come home, there's a wreck on it, or they're working on it, and it's shut down, and I have to go through some FM road, 1385, whatever. And what I've discovered is this. When it's pitch dark, all I can see with the headlights on my truck are about, I don't know, 15, 20 feet. When you find yourself in that situation where you can only see it just a little distance, do you stop? Guess what? I'm not getting home tonight until it gets daybreak. I can see the whole way there. No, you just keep moving, don't you? Why? Because as you move, you see a little further. God is the same way. He is not going to give you the totality of his plan for your life from A through Z. Because if you knew his plan for your life from A through Z, it might drive you crazy. It might drive you to despair. Or it might fill you with pride. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's about time, you know. Either way, it's not good. And so often what God does is that he withholds the explanation and he gives the directive. Just do this. And sometimes those directives don't make sense. Let me give you some examples. Someone at your work wrongs you. Someone at your work does something to you that you don't deserve. And God tells you, forgive them and love them and do what your boss just told you to do. Ooh. The directive is forgive, love. Follow the instructions. Even if they're a jerk, Pastor George? Yeah. Let me give you another one. You're on the toll road. You just paid five bucks to get home early. I know I bring this up all the time. You can tell it really, God's trying to teach me some things. You waited 10 minutes to get off at your exit. It finally starts moving, and you're going to get off this parking lot, right? And someone comes from around you, pulls right in front of you. The directive is, George, be patient. Don't flip them off. Don't get mad at them. Forgive them and love them. You see, it's interesting to me that when it comes to the basics of Christianity, I screw it up almost all the time. Maybe you do too. We're human. Someone hurts me, and I give them a piece of my mind, and it just makes the situation worse. Or things aren't moving as fast as I'd like because I'm a triple-A guy. It should have been done yesterday. 
And I push it ahead, and it just makes the situation worse. You see, the key to Hagar's success was this. Will you write this down? She acted on the directive. Though she didn't understand, go back and submit. She did it. Guess what? God tells us that to do that all the time through his Holy Spirit that we have as believers. He's deposited, and God brings in our mind. Don't you do that now, George. Don't you say that. Don't, do, whatever. Do this. Do that. Don't, don't do this. Whatever. He gives us directives over and over and over again, and he expects us to act. Take a look at James chapter 1, verse 22. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. I love the next one, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Folks, when I act on God's directive, God will begin revealing. At that moment, not in the totality, but in that moment, what I am to do. When life simply doesn't work, I gotta remember God's promises. I gotta rely on God's plan, not my plan, his plan, his directives. Number three, I gotta recognize God's provision. Take a look at Genesis 21, 19. Then God opened Hagar's eyes and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. I make this point out of this verse, which is we often miss God's provision because it doesn't come in the way that we think it ought to come. It was right there. She just didn't see it. God had to open her eyes to that well that was right there. And that happens to us, doesn't it? We have preconceived ideas of what it's going to be like and how it's going to happen. But it doesn't happen that way. Why? Because it's God's plan. God's ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His plans and his ways are much greater than ours. We need to ask him to open our eyes that we might see them, because he knows what's best, not me. So will you write this down? God's provision is exactly what we need when we need it. And I think Paul refers to that in 2 Corinthians 4, when he says, we are hunted down but never abandoned by God. You see, God's never late and he's never early. He's always on time. God will never give you half of what you need. He will always give you what you need at the right time and in the right way. God provided water for Hagar and Ishmael. And so I say this, whatever we do, let's don't put God in a box and say God only works this way. And he only does these kinds of things. God does all kinds of new, fresh, life-giving things to meet our needs. Paul said this in Philippians 4. It's a great verse. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. When life doesn't make sense, I remember God's promises. I rely on God's plans. I recognize God's provision. And then the last thing is simply this. I rest in God's presence. 
when I am overwhelmed with all kinds of questions, when I don't understand and can't get my mind around what is going on in my world or in the world at large, when we are wrestling in absolute misery, when we are carrying those burdens that are weighing us down, we've got to rest in God's presence. Take a look at Genesis 16, 13. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are, the Lord, you are the God who sees me. You're the God who sees me. What is significant about this is that Hagar came from Egypt where there were a lot of gods that could not see because they had no eyes. They were made out of stone and wood. And what you read here in Genesis 16 is her first experience with the true God. And later, this same true God will reveal to her that he not only sees, but he hears her cries. Folks, I have to be honest with you. At times, even as a pastor, I have felt alone. I have felt alone where I thought that my prayers were just kind of bouncing off the walls, where I was questioning God. God, where are you in this situation? But honestly, I knew that even though I felt that way, I knew that God was there. And so I want you to know, church, God sees your pain. He sees the confusion that you're going through. He hears your cries. And when you think that God is a gazillion million miles away, he is closer still. And Paul says it like this, when we are knocked down, we are not destroyed. You see, instead of running from God, when life doesn't make sense, we need to run to God. We need to remain in his presence because Jesus said in John 15, if you remain in me, you will bear fruit. And that's what we need in those times that don't make sense. We need the fruit of peace and perspective, and we need power. And when we live in the presence of God, knowing that he sees and knowing that he hears us, you and I will find peace in our chaos, and we will find perspective when we are overwhelmed with questions, and we will find power where we will not be defeated. So, what is Hagar's extra, extraordinary lesson from this ordinary woman? Well, for me to share what it is, I have to fast forward the, the story to Joseph. Remember Joseph? Joseph was the son of Jacob. Joseph was Jacob's favorite son from Rebekah. He's the dude that had the multicolored coat, okay? He, he, he was the dude that um, the rest of Jacob's sons envied, okay? You know his story, right? His brothers don't like him. They throw him in a pit. They were going to kill him. Decided, no, we're going to sell him. And they sold him to some nomads, wandering nomads. And he finds himself... In Egypt. In Egypt, cliff note version, he gets raised up to be the second in command of Egypt. A famine comes along. And because he's the ruler, 
second in command. He saves his family, his dad's family, Jacob's family, from starvation. Jacob was the son of Isaac. Isaac was the promised child. Through Jacob came the Messiah through the tribe of Judah. Jesus. Do you know who those band of nomads were that they sold Jacob, uh, Joseph to? They were Ishmaelites. Hagar never knew at that moment in her life that God would use her son and his descendants to be a part of bringing Jesus into this world. And you and I have no earthly idea about the pain and the suffering, emotional, mental, physical, that is going on in our life that God wants to use to bring glory to him and to maybe possibly physically usher in the Savior of the world for the second time. No doubt he'll want to do that spiritually in someone else's life. So the extraordinary lesson from this ordinary woman is this. Will you write this down? Just because it doesn't make sense doesn't mean it's senseless. I am sorry for what you go through, for the pain and the suffering, the confusion. That is why at LifePoint we push ministries to get involved like Stevens to help the hurting and the helpless and the hopeless. That is why 2018 is going to be the year of hope as we launch even more ministries, as we're beginning to do now, like 9-11 marriages and our mental health that we started this summer. It's only going to get bigger and it's going to get better because our world needs hope. And I'm sorry for what you are going through. I really am. But God wants to use it. to bring glory to himself, and to bring good to you and to others. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that you are God and that we are not. That you see the end from the beginning, that you know everything from A through Z and that you are working. You are working within, and you are working in spite of. You are working within us, God, conforming us to the very image of Jesus Christ. You're working in spite of our flops, failures, and fumbles, because you are a God that has a plan, and that you want us to be a part of it, even in our humanity. And we thank you for that. Today, I don't know where you're at. Maybe your world is going to hell in a handbasket. And maybe you've contributed to that because you are your worst enemy. Regardless, you need Christ within. 
as you look at your world, maybe you've come to that conclusion. You know what? I need Christ, not just in my mind, but I need him to be in the center of my life, in my heart. Well, I want you to know today's your day. Will you just say simply and quietly in your own, in your own mind and heart, with your own words, God, I admit, I've added gas to the fire. I've done things. I've thought things that have just made it worse. But you, God, died on a cross. And you resurrected from the grave to help me to know and understand that you got a plan. And that you work within and you work in spite of those things. For my good and for your glory. So right now, Jesus, I ask you to come in. I admit my sin. Thank you for what you've done. Now lead me and guide me. And if you prayed that prayer as simple as it was, would you just let me know? Take your communication card and just on the back of it, check the appropriate box. I, I, I'm committing my life to Christ and I will get you some literature email-wise that'll help you understand. Love to talk with you in person. And so God, we give you this. Life is hard. It's confusing. Though it is senseless many times, doesn't mean it doesn't make sense. And so God, we give you this. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.